I'm rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. All right, so after a month of In the Flesh, we are back on The X-Files. I think this is an appropriate season to also do this break on, which was kind of unintentional, actually. I I, I chose the end of the third season to do a break only because there are nine regular seasons of The X-Files, and so it just slotted in nicely into thirds. But this is the season that the show moved to Sunday nights at nine o'clock. This is the season that the show sort of cemented its status as one of the biggest hits of the 90s. And these two episodes are very indicative of the show at its best and its worst, I think. (laughs) I could say, I mean, there is a feeling of, you know, it's the fucking X-Files that this, you know, the second and third season didn't quite have. Um, I think part of that is where we're at. We're normally used to, okay, one week we finish and the next week we're going right out. While we didn't have quite, you know, quite as long as, you know, the viewers at home would have had when it aired, you know, we did have a little bit of a break, so there was a bit of anticipation, but I don't know. There was a... We've been saying that, you know, the show is getting more and more confident. This is a show that knows what it's doing. But, I mean, this is a show that knows what it's doing. And in the case of Home, it's – I don't – Home knows what it's doing. I don't know if it should have done that. But um, – Well, yeah, and and we'll talk about Home because I have some very particular thoughts about it. (laughs) But I I actually think Heronvolk is is the weaker episode of these two. And – I, I well, think it's the, certainly the less striking of the two. I mean, Terran Vogue, yeah. Vogue is, we're going to do a really fucking solid mythology episode. We know where this plot is going, ha ha ha. We know all of the elements. We're going to use them in really interesting ways. We're going to have a crazy chase sequence, you know. We're going to have recurring characters. We're going to kill people, you know. All of those things. But it's nothing we haven't seen before. It's just that done very well. Home is the, we're going to try something way out of left field. And if it isn't quite successful, uh, which I wouldn't say it's a bad episode. You just said it was the first kind of really infamous episode. Yeah. I think was the way you phrased it. But Well, Heron I mean, Heronvolk is, I, I don't agree with you that it's a solid mythology episode. And, okay. and maybe this is just me looking at the, the show and the mythology episodes in hindsight. But I kind of feel like this is the first mythology episode where things start to fall apart a little bit. And the reason for that is is fairly simple. Nothing happens. Like, there's no real information given here. Mm-hmm. It, You know, mythology episodes we have talked about. And, you know, I, I think that the mythology does hold together pretty well until, say, the sixth season of the show, right? The, the fifth season was a short season because that was the the season that they also filmed the movie during. And so the movie comes out the summer of 1998. That was, you know, af- after the fifth season, the show. I mean, it's kind of inconceivable now to even think about a television show getting a movie at the same time that it was on. Yeah. That was also like continuing the story of the television show. Things just don't happen like that anymore. But yeah, because terms- the shows themselves are the movie in a way. In a way, yeah. There's not this sort of like, I think in a weird way, what's interesting, and we'll talk more about this when we get to to fight the future, obviously, but I think that that doesn't really happen anymore because, and I think this will be a converse, this is an interesting conversation to have during the week we talk about home as well, because 
The X-Files is a show that is really, really invested in television as an artistic medium. Mm. And television doesn't have the cachet that movies do in the 90s. And so television is like where it's at now. You know, everyone wants to do television. Nobody wants to make fucking movies anymore because you can't get funding to make the types of movies that people are making television shows about. That certainly wasn't true in the 90s. And so... The X-Files getting a movie was really sort of like, what the fuck? We have made it moment. But yeah, it, to, to think like Game of Thrones would have its finale be a movie that you have to go in the theaters is what the fuck in a very different way. Yeah, it would be inconceivable to do yeah. that. It was like, why would they do that? Just, you know, HBO will give you a two hour episode as your finale if they want, if you want them to, you know? Yeah, but Heron Vogue, to me, you know, aside from the death of Deeper Throat, which is something that we have seen before, and certainly Deeper Throat yeah. was around much longer than Deep Throat. He was a character that that I think we grew to kind of not like, and he was never really supposed to be likable in the way Deep yeah. Throat was. He was he was a man who was scared. He was worried for his life and his career. Obviously, uh, he was correct in that because he was murdered at the end of this episode. <laughs> But the rest of Heronvoke is just kind of like, I, I don't know, like what happens? Nothing happens. You know, they get this. It's it's all part of what is so frustrating about the mythology episodes, I think, is that they get criticized for for privileging sort of mood and and mm. feeling over over logic and plot. And I don't necessarily I don't like that criticism for two reasons. A, I don't really think it's true, at least for the early mythology episodes, let's say seasons one through five. I also don't like that criticism because I like mood and feeling and I don't necessarily care about plot and, and logic. And so I don't care that the mythology never makes a lot of sense. But I also don't see that there's a lot of really there's not a lot of character stuff in this episode either. It, it, it feels very flat to me. Like it's all very well done, but it, in service of what I'm not sure. And it feels like Chris Carter throwing the gauntlet down in a very strange way in that he's saying, we are now, a, we're now a big hit. We're on Sunday nights. This is what the X files is. And what the X files is, is basically a series of like Escher paintings or something. You know, I mean, I guess to, when I say solid episode, that's part of it is it's not necessarily a compliment, although it's not an insult. I mean, there's I think I liked it more than you did. But again, seeing it just for the first time as a piece of we're back where the X-Files, I thought it was good in that. Well, if it didn't really I mean, this feels like it's more setting up some stuff for later in the season. We're going to learn more about the smallpox thing. We're going to learn more about why exactly, you know, the bit at the end where um, the assassin revives the mother. You know, that's leading up to something. The death of Deeper Throat means they're without leads. Um, This secretary... Or are they? Well, you know, it's setting up this... um, now this is uh, the 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 woman at the end with the um at the UN um the, the, the special re- yeah the special representative to the secretary general. So I actually I looked up the actress because she looked familiar and I you know it says you know she's in ten episodes so you know that is a bit of a spoiler but so that's obviously a plot line they're setting up like it do- yes if there isn't much that we're you know the this village of these you know child clones of the aliens or something like it feels like there are some more threads that they're just 
if there isn't any progress on them, if we don't see the um, the syndicate or whatever they're called, if we don't really mm-hmm. see much of that, that's okay. This is just kind of introducing the themes of what the fourth season is going to be. I, I think that's right, certainly, in some respects. And I, I, I think that I'm... I, I sound like I'm I'm heart being harder on the episode than I actually am. I mean, I like it. I think it's fine. Yeah. I was entertained while I was watching it. But what what really gets me about the episode is that I, I just keep looking at the structure of it, and you know, uh, Talitha Kumai ends with this cliffhanger of the alien bounty mm-hmm. hunter showing up, and he's going to murder Jeremiah Smith. How are they going to get out of this? How they get out of it is they have a chase, and then they're still being chased and you're kind of like, all right, I guess that's okay. But, and it's a long chase sequence too. It takes up like the first five or 10 minutes of the episode and Hmm. it doesn't really go anywhere. I don't watch Hmm. the X-Files for chase scenes. I don't watch the X-Files for extended riffs on like seventies conspiracy movies. So to me, I, I, I don't really, that's not a satisfying like resolution to that cliffhanger. Number one, I think uh, that the X-Files has done more satisfying resolutions to cliffhangers. Sure, sure. And then what we get at the end of it is, oh, well, you know, Mulder killed the guy, but he didn't really kill the guy because he didn't stab him exactly in the right spot. And then Jeremiah Smith takes him off and he's got this smallpox thing going on. You know, it's kind of all stuff we knew before. I mean, we're not really finding much out. You know, we knew that yeah. in I forget what episode it was, but they they found the records of the smallpox inoculation, so they knew that the government or whoever was doing something with that. And we kind of get that repeated. And in a certain way, it kind of feels like this episode was designed to get people up to speed on the X-Files and the mythology that weren't watching the show, which is also yeah, or or even if people who were, I mean, we don't have the DVD sets. We didn't binge it over the summer. You know, we didn't go and, you know, read all this to prepare. We didn't have Wikipedia to get our plot summaries. I mean, there is, I think, part of it might have to do with that. Even I, I think so. And I think if you look at it in that context as an episode that is designed to get the Sunday night crowd into the X-Files, mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. Now, of course, hilariously enough, this episode did not air on Sunday night. So the I'm assuming the entire reason why this episode was written this way was for nothing because the first three episodes of the fourth season aired at their normal Friday night time slot until uh, uh, I think the show didn't start airing on Sunday nights until the fourth episode of this season. That's weird. Yeah, I I think it probably had something to do with baseball. I, I'm not okay. sure, but that's what I would assume because that would be World Series time. Hmm. And they would not want to like destroy the X-Files lead like that way. Um, or playoff baseball or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, home begins with baseball, at least, so. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, I just, you know, I don't I don't know, really. It's, it's kind of like it's a mythology episode that's there, and things happen, and plots kind of just kind of spin out, but nothing really happens. I mean, I'm even kind of having trouble, like, remembering the shape of the episode in my own head, and I don't normally have trouble with that. I think because... I don't think anything really happened. Well, I mean, for the most part, it's Jeremiah and Mulder going off to Canada to see this uh, ta- th- this weird little town and coming back. Meanwhile, Scully uh, chats with Deeper Throat, you know, finds out about these this document with seven gigabytes of data in 1996. Which, well, uh, he does, he says seven 10 gigabyte hard drives, and I was like, "Whoa, Nelly, get out of here." <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah i have like um, i have like four terabytes on my sitting on my desk right now yeah um but i mean it's, again still 1996 but um and then the two stories you know connect together at the end at the hospital and then there's some um, you know aftermath and I, I will say, though, that that at least on a purely visual and production level, the show has never looked better. You know, I, I think that that those opening those that opening scene with the, the guy dying of smallpox is, is shot really well. You know, you get these beautiful vistas of what I assume is British Columbia masquerading as Alberta, Canada. Uh, you know, you, the chase sequence is, is very well done. I mean, it's got that dark cinematography and it looks really good. I mean, the show. The apiary least... sequence is terrifying. Like, that's a really scary set. Yes. Yeah. I think if you view Heronvoke as a as a series of scary or sus- suspenseful set pieces, it, it maybe works better. Maybe it's just supposed to be a funhouse ride in a certain sense. And I thought it was a good funhouse. I. I. Uh, again, partially because I was coming off of it after a couple weeks, and I'm not the greatest at remembering the nuts and bolts of where the mythology is going, because I've kind of made a point to not track that too much, because I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I know it's not going to hold together completely in the end, so if it works for the moment, I think that's good. I, I think that's a really good approach to the mythology episodes, because... I have only ever seen The X-Files in its entirety once, although I have seen the first five seasons of the show multiple times. Um, and I still don't know what the hell <laughs> happens in the mythology. Like, on an episode-by-episode level, sure. On the whole, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. It's It, it erases itself in my head like an Etch-A-Sketch. And- yeah, and I, I know... I mean, it's very obvious that, you know, any season one mythology episodes, you know, you ask Chris Carter, well, what does this, uh, you know, ginseng ginseng flowery bush and the black oil have to do with it? He'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's a great idea. I'll add it later on. You know, I mean, it's obvious. It's kind of, you know, maybe he's thinking to the next episode or the next two episodes, but that's really as far as he's gone with it at this point. He's not... You know, he, he he didn't, again, this is very obviously, did not sit down and write the Bible beforehand on what exactly the whole mythology is. The syndicate kind of appears when he thinks about it. These, you know, flowering bushes that give you smallpox and the bees, he you know, and the village of clones, he probably thought about that over the summer, you know, something like that. Right, because I mean, like, you know, let's spin this out or let's ask the question, you know, if the syndicate and the federal government are conspiring together to track every single person in the country via their smallpox inoculation. Why are they breeding bees that contain smallpox? What, what does that actually do for them? You know, I think that's a fair question to ask. Uh, And also assumedly the Canadian government is in on it or it's a worldwide thing. I mean, I think that that's part of it too, that the show is, expanding its scope in this season it's saying it's not just you know we're not getting help from the syndicate anymore from americans we're getting help from the united nations you know what's going on with that it's in canada for the first time yeah although i will say we you know i don't remember which episode it was us it was i think an early season two episode where you know they had that phone call chain and it's like all right we're in japan we're in mexico we're in you know i mean we knew that this was a worldwide thing that was the beginning of the third season i think third season wow yeah but yeah but 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 to your point i think that that's part of again 
this is an episode that is really just reestablishing information yeah. that we already knew if we had watched the show for three seasons. We're not getting anything new out of this. Okay. Again, I think I feel okay about that. It was a very good, uh, you know, recap episode. It's better now, than a clip show. Yeah, well, that that is true. Now, what do you make of... Are we supposed to make anything about the fact that uh, they have clones of Samantha working in this apiary? I mean, is that meaningful in any way, do you think? I mean... It's meaningful in the sense that, you know, Samantha has been kidnapped. She was obviously given to the aliens as part of some kind of deal and some kind of larger purpose. And if this is what the larger purpose happens to be, I mean, it's obvious there was some experiment done, right? It's obvious there was some kind of evil alien science. And, you know, it had to come out sooner or later. And, you know, here is fine. Yeah, because I guess I, I, you know, I, I said that the shape of the actual mythology doesn't really matter, and then I'm going to ask you very particular questions about where you think it's <laughs> going. Uh, but you know, I can, I can contradict myself uh, because to me, it's like I want to ask you, you know, so what happens is that Samantha gets kidnapped, assumedly by aliens, and the syndicate is working with aliens somehow. Uh, we also know that their father was in the syndicate or worked for the syndicate or something. Um, so where do you think all that's going or do you think they have given it much thought? Uh, I'm not sure they have given it much thought. I don't, I mean, I think if you asked the Chris Carter that just, you know, wrote the end at the end of the script, all right, well, are there Samantha clones being used for other purposes? You know, you mentioned drones. So, all right, let's go into a, uh, you know, does the queen bee clone look like Samantha? I don't think he has any idea, you know, are there... You know, who is this boy that's been cloned? I don't think he really knows. You know, the, the, these are, I think it's mostly just for the striking image of it than anything. And all right, well, I'll figure that out later. I, I think that's fair. Yeah. And and then moving aside from Samantha, then then what do you make of, of the death of Deeper Throat? Because, you know, here's a character that, charitably speaking, was not the most beloved. I think he was kind of yeah. constructed as a character you love to hate. I don't necessarily have a problem with the show getting rid of him. I think that it it makes sense in a way because you're getting rid of a recurring character that doesn't appear very often. And so the show kind of cultivating a new audience or perhaps growing its audience being on a new night, um, they want to kind of maybe it was just they wanted to get rid of him because they didn't want to have to explain who he was. I mean, uh, I also feel like they've done kind of all they're going to do with Deeper Throat, right? Like he's never going to be... You know, Deep Throat himself, he and Mulder had some kind of special relationship. There was almost a fatherliness to them, but the two of them, you know, did have some kind of a common bond eventually. I mean, to the degree that, you know, when Mulder was going through his, you know, blessing way experience, you know, Deep Throat appeared. Um, right. Deeper Throat and Mulder are never going to have that. Scully and Deeper Throat are never going to have that. They are at best you know, using each other. They are, at be you know, best convenient to each other. And I think we have seen the degree to which Deeper Throat is kind of cowardly. I mean, one thing you can say about Deep Throat is he, I think, walked the walk in a way that Deeper Throat never did. He, um, you know, had a bit more of the courage of his convictions. I think we've learned everything we are going to learn about Deep Throat. He is somehow working for the cigarette-smoking man. He tried to play both sides, didn't really work out for him in his final, you know, in his final act on this earth, he, you know, gave 
you know, gave Scully and Mulder the name of the next person that they are going to be having as a contact. And I think, um, you know, if it's this woman, the I don't remember her name, but, you know, my assumption is, you know, she and Mulder are going to have a different kind of relationship and they're going to explore, you know, that's going to be a different note, but it's time yeah. to move on. You know, in general, it's time to move on, whether that's, you know, it, it's nice that that happens to serve the needs of courting a larger audience, but it does feel like it's time. There's not much they can do with it. It's just kind of repeating itself. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and and two thoughts about that. I think number one about the larger audience specifically, you know, I don't want to give the impression that I think the show is, uh, you know, not being true to itself in, no. in doing this. I, I think it completely is. It's doing it on, on its own terms. And it is, it is becoming a very, very well, I don't. I wouldn't even say it's becoming a very confident show. It is a very confident show yeah. at this point. And then I think the the other thing there is that you know the show had done a good job in the latter part of the third season of I think humanizing Deeper Throat in a way. Yeah, you know because we didn't really know who this guy was. We didn't know who he worked for. And then in short order, we we found out that he worked for the syndicate. He he worked for the cigarette smoking man. Um, you know he was given lines specifically with Mulder about, you know, how he had to really walk a fine line and had to be very careful because he was in a very precarious position. And I think he was right to, because he was not above suspicion. You know, I think the deep throat was probably above suspicion. He was probably on the level of the cigarette smoking man in terms of the hierarchy of the syndicate. We don't know, but that's what I would assume. Whereas deeper throat seems like more. Yeah. Whereas deeper throat seems like more of a, you know, just a functionary like, like cry check for instance, and maybe, maybe a level above cry check. He's not sort of a hot man, you know, a hired gun or something, but he's not someone who is untouchable. And at the end of the day, he was right because as he ramped up his, yeah, help of Mulder. They found out very quickly that it was him, and they killed him. So, yes, no coincidence. It might be no coincidence that kind of almost as soon as Deeper Throat begins to open up a bit, that he he's found out. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't seem like a man who has guile. We'll put it that way. Hmm. I think that's maybe fair to say. And then I guess the the last thing to talk about um, before we go on to home is. Really, the fact that, like, Mulder and Scully in this episode, you know, this is another episode where they're um, apart for most of it. Do you think that, like, is this a good introduction to the characters? Like, if you had never watched the X-Files before, do you think you would get a sense of who they were? Or is that not what the show is trying to do? And and Well, that is one where, I mean, home, of course, they're, you know, working together. They're working well. It is Mulder and Scully as a team. And... You know, maybe as an you know, as somebody who's watched three seasons already, and as the core audience of this show would have you know would have had no problems with Mulder and Scully are separate in this because that's what they are. You know, they, they, it happens. You know, circumstances, and again, this is how the show covers its ground. Mulder has one arm of the investigation, Scully has another, and they connect at the end. But you know, they, they're able to kind of be in two places at once. Um, but yeah, I didn't think about that to a, I don't know. I mean, they have enough talking to each other and I think there is enough, I think Mulder and Skelly were such a thing in pop culture that I don't feel like separating them for this one episode really hurts it. Yeah, I think that's right. And and before we move on to home, the last thing I want to ask you is, uh, are we going to call the woman deepest throat? That seems weird. 
it has to happen organically. I can't put you on the spot. Endoscopy. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for Heronvoke. Before we move on to home, I do want to take this opportunity. It has been a while since I've done this because we have not had a break between episodes. But tuning in is listener supported. You can go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow to give now. It also supports our other podcast, Truckabout. So please, again, go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. All right, let's talk about home, which I am very conflicted about. You know, it 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 reminded me of a an ex coworker from Texas who was you know probably a neo Nazi. Um, and you know, this is an episode about America being great again. Uh, is it? I I I I I I think it's about America being great in the sense that what we think of when people say we want to make America great. I think that is what the Peacock family wants. They want their home. They want their outsiders out of there. They want, I mean, there, it is no coincidence that a major set piece in this area is in, in this episode is three guys, you know, beating a black man and his wife to death under the soundtrack of some, you know, wholesome fifties music. I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, Home is tough for me because I can see like, okay, Glenn Morgan and James Wong are back. They're on the writing staff again. Their television show space above and beyond failed. I haven't seen it since it was on, so I can't tell you if it's actually a good or not. Um, And this, you know, they can, they, you can tell they've leveled up or at least they think Mm. they've leveled up as writers. I always feel that this episode is very, very strange because this to me is the first episode of the X-Files that feels like the show jumping up and down, waving its arms saying, hey, television can be art too. Hey, television uh, can be art too. And sure, television can be art. But this episode just feels a little bit too unconfident to pull that off. Yeah, I also, the way it it's attempting to deconstruct Andy Griffith in a lot of ways uh, is very blatant. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that's right. But also just in the, in sort of the visual style of it, in the direction of it, there's a lot of frankly cheesy things that I think they thought were very, uh, all of the, very, very inventive and artistic. The zoom ins to the locks that are unlocked every time like that, that is very, I don't know. And and yes, for television in 1996 or 1997, I forget. No, 1996, this was very artistic. And I think that, you know, we talk a lot in our podcasts about how television got to where it was and what shows influenced the creators of today in making television what it is. And I think that the X-Files is one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it it this is one of the hallmark shows of American television and of television that has been influenced by American television uh ever, really. You know, I, I think the list the list is long. You know, this is not just the only show that got us there. But and I also don't think the X-Files gets enough credit for being mm-hmm. an influence. I mean, I think that at this point you know, there there are television shows that were big hits and people have forgotten about and there are television shows that were not big hits that have become cult classics in the meantime and that people now kind of hold up as as you know are examples of the best of television and then there are shows like the x-files which people don't have not forgotten the show 
people still watch it, but I don't know that the critical reception of the show has really given itself over to how important this show is. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to do it on this podcast. I mean, I wonder if it's almost like... Be- I, do you think it is because it is a victim of its own success? Like, nobody would do a podcast on law and order as an artistic thing, even though it's a supremely popular television show. Everyone's seen a bunch of episodes of it. It has so many spinoffs. Like, it is, it's a massive, massive hit. Um, It does what it does very well. But I think people think of it as just a, you know, a big popular TV show. I mean... I wonder if people think of The X-Files as a big popular TV show, and certainly it, it deserves its credit. The actors deserve their credit. It did some really cool things, but is the reception simply that it was, you know, a pop hit? I, it, I'll go with that sideways. I, I think that not a pop hit, I think being a genre show mm. is is what does that. And, okay. and also specifically the mythology stuff. I think people remember the X-Files for the mythology and don't remember how how formally experimental the show could get. You know, this yeah. is not as formally experimental as the show gets. Um, we are getting to that point very quickly. Uh, but this is a very, very different episode of the X-Files than we have ever seen before. Yeah, it's... And, it's and I, I mean, I think our our... our test for that is if you saw this in season one if they inserted in this this in the middle you know it would be what the fuck you know right it would it would would blow your mind you you wouldn't know what you were watching and you know i wrote in my notes this is a very showy episode and and it is this this feels like in a certain sense this feels like a perfect confluence of events you know glenn morgan and james wong coming back to the x-files they want to knock this out of the park The, the show is getting moved to Sunday nights at nine o'clock. That's like the best time slot any television show could get in 1996. And Glenn wants to show up his brother. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Glenn wants to show up his brother um, who has now left the show. Uh, and we're talking, of course, about um, uh, Morgan. Uh, Darren Morgan. Morgan. Uh, Darren Morgan. Sorry. Um, and so I think the direction, I think the writing, I think that Chris Carter had an influence on this. I think the production staff really wanted to to level up. You know, I think this is a really good-looking episode of television. I think it's well-written. Yeah. I think it's a good episode. But there are elements to it which, at this point, knowing where television goes, it just feels a little showy. Well, and- e- it's not, not to cut you off, but I wonder if that's necessary in order to – like. Uh, you know, my my normal area, as everyone knows, is video games. And every few years, a bunch of you know college kids decide to write these you know really bombastic articles about games are art. I mean, that's you know th- this is something that has been going on since the early '80s. Electronic Arts has that name because they you know were the first to say, well, this can be an art form. This is and now. In video games, there is no institutional memory, and, you know, there, there are a lot of other problems there, but I feel the showiness is maybe needed in television, which does have a longer memory than video games do, because, um, I don't know, I think somebody needs to say it, because otherwise, you know, as you say at this point, being on television maybe not as bad as it had been 10 years earlier, but, you know, still it's not a prestige thing, you know, to be working in television, well, that's what you do because you can't work in movies. And 
I do think there needs to be an amount of, you know, yes, it might be classier to quietly, you know, make high quality television and be noticed for that. But I, if this episode is showy, I think it feels the need to toot its own horn just because it's saying, all right, well, we have a big audience now. We have a larger audience. We are a, you know, know, we are a show that has very good critical and, you know, popular success. And if we need to, you know, maybe it is time to make a grander statement about this. You know, maybe the world needs that. Yeah, I I mean, I agree with you. I think that's right. And I certainly am not... uh... I don't think the showiness hurts the yeah. episode. I just think it, it it feels a little dated in a way that the X-Files doesn't normally feel. And that's very fair to say, yes. And I'm not criticizing the episode for that. I, I think that if you look at... I mean, this episode blew shit up in 1996. You know, <laughs> this this was never repeated ever on, on Fox or I think the entire run of the X-Files and its initial run. Um, it was... It was the first episode of the X-Files that I think... Remember, like, television ratings were relatively new. This yeah. was one of the first episodes of the show that got, I think, a TV, uh, you know, TVMA or something. Okay. TV, I don't remember exactly what it was. Well, but it, it does begin with the other burial show. of a new... Live burial of a newborn baby, which is something more shows need to begin with. But that's just me. <laughs> well, but I think that that's, that's... I mean, you joke, but I also think that that's yeah. a very, very ballsy thing to do oh you yeah know, this this is a very i mean we, we can't we have to talk about the violence of this mm. episode it is extraordinarily violent even now i mean it's you know it cuts away from it but it, it, it it's it's bloody and this is not a show that really got bloody i think yeah that, you know the X-Files like kind of jumps ahead and jump you know fits and starts and this is one of those fits and starts episode where it 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 really just sets the bar at another level in the same way that like the first Darren Morgan episode that yeah. blew the show up and they're like, whoa, the X-Files can be funny. Yeah. Huh, okay. <laughs> you know, this is, oh, the X-Files can do this and what this is. I'm not sure, but I also think that the, the, the visual showiness of the episode also might just be due to the fact that, you know, I'm watching this on a 50 inch HD TV. Okay. And, in 1996, I was not watching this on a 50-inch HD TV. You know, I was watching this on a 13-inch standard def 4x3 television. So some of the visual style of that might just be due to the fact that the format that people are watching television in now is very different than it was in 1996. Yeah. Visually speaking, it needed to be a little over the top for it to really penetrate uh, you know, the size and the the uh, definition of the television. I mean, I'll say, I'm so I'm watching this on a laptop, so I have a 13-inch uh, screen. Now, of course, it is an eight, you know, high-definition screen. It's not, you know, and I'm watching it, uh, you know, I'm streaming it. But, you know, it didn't, maybe didn't seem quite as big to me than it might have to you. It might have seemed huge. That said, it seemed very, I mean, the this house is, is so, you know, you know, e- even something like the the sheriff's house, you know, becomes a very big, very detailed set. I mean, the sets in this are very. You know, again, this is another episode where the production team, you know, worked overtime on. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that I don't know where they found this, uh, this house. I mean, obviously they didn't build this house, but. That you know the the the, the scouting uh, you know the scouting staff really worked overtime to find this house and you know I think that that you know it does it does look good and I think that that as a statement on what the X Files is this really 
you know, sets the bar very high for the season. You know, I think that the third season was a very, very solid season of television. It was doing very interesting things, but you know, this, this episode more than anything else, I think is saying you haven't seen anything yet. Yeah. You know, like if the show was, you know, the show was really getting, uh, uh, very, very inventive and very, very solid and very sure of itself in the third season. And now it's ready to take the gloves off. Yeah. And I think it does it very well. I mean, it, this is maybe more of a big season opener than the, than the, than Heronvoke was, you know, they had to resolve the cliffhanger next thing. They couldn't, you know, do this, but if you wanted to have a bit, you know, you're inviting everyone else. All right, you know, Sunday night we're having – I know it's not Sunday, but, you know, we're going to have an X-Files party. And, you know, this is maybe and, – and again, it's the two of them working together. Maybe this is a better introduction to the world of the X-Files. Yeah, I think so because, I mean, this episode has gotten, you know, some minor criticism, I think, for, you know, some of the jokiness of Mulder and Scully, but those people don't like the jokiness of the X-Files, so, <laughs> you know, that's fair. I mean, I think that everybody has their own favorite version of the X-Files. But and I like you the know, banter term- version. Oh, yeah, I do, too. I mean, I, I watch this show for Mulder and Scully. I, you know, I think, like, season seven, for example, is probably going to be a little bit of a slog. And, you know, part of the reason why it works is because of Mulder and Scully, mm-hmm. even when Mulder, even when uh, David Duchovny started phoning it in. But, you know, they, they had such good chemistry. And I think that that's a large part of why the show works so well. Yeah. And you see that in an episode like this where they don't really do anything. I mean, that that's the interesting part is they're just sort of puttering around. They they get called to this town. The 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 justification for why they're there is is flimsy at best. And, you know, they investigate sort of, but they're not really doing anything. And I think that this is really an episode about the Peacocks, if it's about anything else. Yeah. And Mulder and Scully are just there for the ride. This is the sort of funhouse version of the X-Files in a way. Yeah, it's not really a mystery at all. The second they see the Peacock house, they're like, they did it, you know, and it's obvious that they did it. I mean, we don't even meet any other townspeople, for example, you know, besides the sheriff and the deputy. That's, um, you know, yeah. they're, 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 there is no investigation. They just need to look inside the house and then they see blood and then they they're kind of running with it right and i think that you know in terms of the actual characters in the episode for example like you've got the sheriff and his deputy and that's it you know i mean it's like uh, okay uh the peacocks don't really have a ton of characterization they don't really have even any lines ma peacock is the only one who does and you know, she carries the weight of the family for the most part, and I think does so well. But yeah, it is a very small cast. Well, I, you know, let's talk about that then, because, you know, the episode is obviously setting itself up as it wants to comment on the American dream and the dream of the small town life. And, it, you know, it starts out with Mulder waxing, you know, resa- uh, waxing uh, rhaps- rhapsodically, rhapsodically about <laughs> how he wants to... Uh, you know, move to a small town if he didn't have to work in a big city and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's obviously, I mean, that's another reason why I think it's laying it on a little too thick, but, but I think that's a, I actually think that's a red herring because the episode is not about, you know, the, the episode, especially everything the sheriff is saying is, Oh, you know, these, it's trying to be the evils of the big city visiting upon, um, this innocent small town, just as, you know, which is a theme that we picked up in In the Flesh a lot. But um, it's not about the evils of the big city. The people from the big city are 
in a way, the good guys. You know, Scully and Mulder are big city people. Even this deputy is seen with a little more technology. He's the one insisting on these vests, and he's, you know, having the walkie-talkies and all of that. Um, The danger is of the small town in an even more primitive state. Uh, That is... Now, of course, that is problematic in its own way. Uh, There is some amount of that that does feel dated um, as a theme, but I think this is about the small town feeling that it is a site of innocence when it is where the real corruption in this is coming from. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's right for sure. And, and you know, it, 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 it I, I struggle with this episode because I think that in some respects it's, it's a little condescending. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, and I think that the X-Files is condescending, frankly. And I think that maybe that's another reason why some people don't, don't, you know, hold it up in, in as high esteem as it deserves because it frankly is a condescending show to the types of small towns that people that don't, I don't know, like people don't watch the X-Files. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> it, it, it does harken back to that sort of idea like, oh, let's make America great again, you know, uh, and we should kick out all the immigrants and everything would be fine. Um, that's never been true and it never will be true. And I think that, that the X-Files, you will see this more and more as the show goes on. And I have talked about how one of the primary uh, you know, interest of the X Files is sort of criticizing America and, and criticizing sort of the, the the corners of America that people think are good and wholesome that are really not. And you know, the X Files is making these monsters explicit and making them you know flesh and blood in, in a way that is not true in the real world. But and I think interestingly enough, of course, there's no real supernatural element to this episode the peacocks are just a family that have been inbreeding for 150 years uh perhaps there's a little bit of science fiction in that business with the chromosomes and the baby has three fathers kind of a thing but yeah that that's about and that doesn't even you know that that could be just a lab is does make the mistake you know she does admit that possibility but yeah and so you know to me it's, it's it's really about you know, yes, it's setting up this thing about I think in a lot of ways what the X-Files is doing in this episode is, you know, it's leveling the playing field and it's saying you big city, small town, wherever you are, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like no, no yeah. place is immune from human nature. And yeah, that I think is what the ultimate that is what I think the ultimate point of this episode is yeah i mean in some degrees i'm contrasting this to quagmire which um again and that has had a bit of a larger cast in terms of who was you know the townspeople that we met and for the most part you know yes they had all their quirks and stuff but nobody that we met in quagmire was evil or 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 mean or you know was the cause of anything it was just an alligator went rogue it you know and that was more about you know, nature itself being um being the danger and of the feeling that one can master nature. But, you know, at the end, that small town seems pretty fine as it is. I wouldn't want to live there, but the people there seem pretty happy, and that's really what matters. And, again, if there was a failing in this episode, uh, home, I would have liked to have met a couple of the other townspeople, have someone talk about how... Uh, you know, what this crime means. I mean, we really just see a bunch of kids playing baseball and that's it. Um, and they're just a bunch of kids playing baseball. 
Yeah, because I mean, I think that that that's that's why I don't think this is sort of like a, a perfect episode. I, mm-hmm. I would never place this in like a top ten X Files episodes for me because it's just a bit too messy and its themes are a bit too muddled. You know, I think that yes, you're right. Like, well, really, the sheriff and the deputy and the kids, like, they're all just fine people. Yeah. You know, we don't really have there's they're they're not none of the kids are assholes. None of the kids are picking on each other. The the sheriff seems competent and nice. He has a nice house and a nice wife and you know whatever. We don't know anything about the deputy. He seems fine and with it. And he wants to put the vests on. Yeah. Everything that we everything that we see them doing and saying is telegraphing. These are competent, good people. Yeah. And. At the end of the day, the peacocks are the real threat, but they're only the real threat because everyone was judging them. Now, yes, of course, the baby died, but well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a there's a I question it because to to my way of thinking and to your way of mm-hmm. thinking, what the peacocks are doing, their lifestyle is demonstrably gross. Yeah. I mean, they are they are having sex with their mother. Um but you know, and the the baby like was not dead when they buried it, but maybe they thought it was. You know, like, and I'm not excusing it. Like, and I don't it's think also that that's like a sorry. I think it's I also clear in the episode that the baby was not going to live much longer anyway. Right, like they, they you know, mul- uh, when Scully initially does the autopsy on on the corpse, you know, she does say that the 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 infant in you know inhaled some air in, in some dirt indicating that that it was still alive mm-hmm. when it was buried but you know the peacock brothers you know charitably speaking don't seem like the brightest bulbs in, in the cellar and so they probably didn't even realize that the baby wasn't dead or maybe they thought it was going to die very quickly or something you know and and so yes that's a bad thing to do and i don't think that we should excuse that but they really only decided to go after the sheriff when the sheriff decided to go after them. And I just don't, and I'm not saying that they're right or wrong. I just don't know what the episode is trying to tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, in some ways they are an extreme version of the sheriff's view. I mean, that scene was saying, you know, the sheriff is very resistant to change. He has his lifestyle. He has his way of life. It's, um, again, they use Mayberry a few times as a, kind of a symbol of what they want, which is that wholesome small town life. Everyone knows their neighbors. You know, you leave your doors unlocked. Everything's just very nice and friendly and all of that. And, you know, the sheriff has this fear that this is going to change and that he's going to lose something very precious. And, you know, the, 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 um, I keep wanting to call them the Polks, which is the name of the family from the sixth season of American Horror Story, which is a very similar kind of a family. But, um, the peacocks are, you know, keep, maybe influenced by the peacocks. We don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, certainly there. I, you get the sense that uh, Morgan and Wong watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre before writing this too, as well. But um, they have this resistance to change. The one speech the mothers say, where you know, we, we, you know, they want to come into our home. They want to, you know, take away our way of life. Um, you know, there is a fear that they have, you know, things are a certain way and things are good as a certain way. And, you know, the outside world is encroaching on that. And I don't know. I, well, it is, I mean, I, I, I mean, I agree with, I agree with that. But I, I, I think that, that that sort of has clarified for me what the, what the actual theme of this episode is in a way, because it's, it, you know, it's not that you are being, injured or or in danger from the other it is that 
the fear of being in danger mm. from the other is what actually causes you to be in danger. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there needs to be a certain amount of change is going to happen and one needs to be open to change in order to, you know, thrive. Otherwise, I mean, the, 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 they, you know, the, the fact that inbreeding is the cause of everything in this episode is, is a suggestion that what you know i mean this this is something that science will tell us that you have a insular population it will stagnate it will you know begin to have birth defects this is a very exaggerated version of that but uh the way that you get genetic strength is through diverse breeding really and yeah, this is a family who is so resistant to change that they have to outsiders that they have, you know, caused it to their own detriment, we would say. And at the same time, I mean, the, you know, part of this is we're watching it in 2017. And I want to say if they want to live this life, you know, without hurting anybody, they have that right to this is America. But um, I don't know. I mean, it, well, it's still, it's still America for a little while. But <laughs> I, I yeah, I think that's right, but I mean, I also don't think that you can uh, separate this episode and the peacocks from American white supremacy because yeah. the episode calls that out very explicitly. I mean, you know, yeah. they say the Civil War; they're from the, they're from the Civil War era. You know, the mother the mother the mother calls it the, the War of Northern Aggression. Yeah, I mean, you know, in Pennsylvania, which I thought was this. hilarious, but yeah, like that's a very deliberate. <laughs> Yeah, and so I don't think, and you know, they they beat a black family to death. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that these things are accidental. No, no, not at all. I mean, that is what the episode is attempting to be about. Um, if it's not, it, it it is a very charitable, you know, very, very, very charitable interpretation of the Civil War to say. And and my neo Nazi coworker from Texas, you know, used to have this view that. The South had a way of life that the North wanted to change, and that's what the war was over. I mean, that's the most generous interpretation of the Civil War you can get, but... And yes, I I would agree with that interpretation of the Civil War, but the lifestyle that they wanted was to own people. Yeah. So, you know, let's let's not sugarcoat that. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so, uh, again, I think, you know, to to say... I mean, that, that... in a way, it's about lines. Yes, you can say that, all right, well, if you're living your life without any hurting anybody, you know, we don't, ha- you know, moral, rel- moral relativism is a thing. And, you know, one lifestyle is not necessarily superior to another, except when you're getting to the point of op- of uh, owning people and killing people who are putting warrants against you and all of those kind of a things and putting booby traps that chop off people's head who's going to your door. Like there is an amount where one needs to, you know, when you're at the point when you need to cut yourself off of civilization 100%, I think you've crossed a line there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And, and I guess maybe the, the last thing to, to mention, I don't really have anything else to say about this, but I think a very small way that the show, or this episode in particular kind of dates itself is a reference to babe. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I mean, it took me a minute to get the Andy Griffith re- resonances, which were, you know, a little more contemporary. Not, you know, obviously it was still several years ago, but I think that people watched it more or had more of a reference to that in 1996 than they would now. I mean, it Oh was- yeah. I, I don't know what somebody who was like, 10 or 15 years younger than me would even think of that because i barely know 
I barely understand those references. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was on Nick at Night at the time, I believe. So, um, one thing I do want to talk about is very is there is a very brief uh, going into. You know, the idea of Scully having a baby or not. And, you know, she seemed, she doesn't, it doesn't seem like having a child is the driving force at all, you know. But, you know, she does recognize it as something that she will probably not have. Now, Scully has an alien baby, right? Like, I think that's a thing in the show or something. And so, um, I, I, I. Maybe. There was certainly that one shot of her visibly pregnant in the ship in one of the mythology episodes, and so I'm assuming that conversation is a bit of a coy, you know, reference to that, at least, or at least, you know, reminding us that that's a thing. Yeah, I mean, I I will just, I don't necessarily want to, you know, tip my hand in either direction, but I will just say that uh, the show is keeping that in our heads for a reason. Yeah. Oh, wow. Is this yeah. the season we're going to find out about baby Scully? No, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I guess the, you know, the, the, the last, last thing I'll say about that is one of the, th- I think one of the reasons why, and this is going to sound weird, but I think you'll know exactly where I'm going with this and why I'm saying it is that I think one of the reasons I like the X-Files so much is that it has slight contempt for its audience. Okay. Would you expound on that? I just think that it's not averse to fucking with the audience. It's not averse to poking a little bit of fun at the audience, never in a mean spirited way and never in a way which makes the audience feel stupid, Mm. but it's, it's definitely willing to go there. Okay. I think, and I think that's a very small example of that sort of thing. Okay. Well, I will have to see further. Well, I think that's it for home. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of The X-Files we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, as we said before, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Tuning In Show is our username in all those places. And we do not have a new review to read this week, but uh, if you would like to leave us a review and get read on air, you can do so on the Apple Podcast app or iTunes. All right, next week we're going to be talking about the X-Files episodes Teliko and Unru, I guess. Mac, why do you...